Well, as we have noted, it is Father's Day, and I have a question for all the dads here this morning. Have your kids ever accused you of not being fair? (laughs) Have you ever heard them cry, no fair? Well, I'm pretty sure we all have, but let's not just pick on the kids this morning. Maybe I should also ask the dads, have you ever wanted to cry, no fair, no fair? You know, life doesn't always seem fair. The Declaration of Independence might assert that all men are created equal, but it surely seems to us that some are created more equal than others. Is it fair that some are better looking, smarter, healthier, or richer than others. You know, maybe the question should be, is our Heavenly Father fair? That's the question we really want to ask. Is God fair? Was he fair to Ishmael when he chose Isaac? Was he fair to Esau when he chose Jacob? You know, Paul knew that we would question the fairness of God when he said, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. We looked at that last week. But still, is God fair? And what does it mean to be fair? To our kids, it probably means that no one should have anything they don't have or be able to do anything they can't do. You know, our concept of fairness might be a little more mature than that, but not much. So what does it mean to be fair? Well, I looked it up in my funk and wagnalls. You kids have no idea what that is. (laughs) But I love that term. Fairness, well, it's a word with a lot of definitions, and the fifth definition is showing no partiality, just, upright. And number six is according to rules, principles, and so forth. So what we're asking is, is God just and upright, and does he play according to the rules? Well, I think Paul addresses those questions by first making it clear that God can do whatever he wants. Continuing our study in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verses 14 through 18. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses... I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. 
Is God just and upright? Absolutely. Does God play by the rules? Without a doubt. Now, he may not play according to our rules or our interpretation of the rules, but he plays according to the rules. After all, he's the one who wrote them. And by nature, a holy God is the definition of just and upright. So to answer the question, is God fair? Yes, God is fair. However, Paul does make it clear that God can do whatever he wants. And whether we like it or not, or understand it or not, whatever God does must be fair. When Moses pleaded to God to spare the Israelites who had worshipped the golden calf, just days after pledging their allegiance to him, God responded, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now, Moses didn't object with no fair. He was talking to God. You know, fairness isn't determined by the will of the one who desires it or the one who seeks it. It's determined by God. And he can have mercy on anyone he chooses. And he can choose to withhold mercy. God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole world. God had brought Pharaoh to power so he could use him. And God was going to harden his heart so he could demonstrate his power with ten plagues before Pharaoh would finally give in. Now, it's true that Pharaoh hardened his own heart before God hardened it further, and that makes us feel a little better about the whole thing. But the bottom line is that God has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. God can do whatever he wants, and God owes no one an explanation. Let's read on. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use? And another for common use. Paul knew the next question would be, how can God find fault with anyone if they're just doing what they were created to do? Don't you love his answer? He merely says, who are you to answer back to God? The thing molded doesn't say to the molder, why did you make me like this? The potter has the right to make whatever he wants out of a lump of clay. 
If he wants to make a beautiful vase, he can. Or if he wants to make a chamber pot, he can. And in case you don't know what that is, it's what was used in the bedroom on a cold night before there was indoor plumbing. <laughs> the potter can do whatever he wants with the clay. And he doesn't owe the clay an explanation. And as Genesis tells us, God did make us out of clay. Now, we are now living, feeling persons made in God's own image. So doesn't he owe us an explanation? Apparently not. What did God say to Job when he tried to make sense of his predicament? You remember he lost everything. God says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Well, God then continued to expose Job's ignorance and then asked, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. I love Job's answer. He says, behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. There are some things we are not going to understand. And God owes us no explanation. That is not to say, however, that God is not fair. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Who is it that tends to question God the most, the unbeliever or the believer? I think it's the believer. The unbeliever has rejected God and isn't shocked by what happens in his life or in the world. He just figures that's the way things are. But the believer knows of God's love and has experienced it. So when something happens that doesn't seem loving or fair... He's confused. He begins to have questions about God, forgetting that whether it seems like it or not, God is always true to his character. And we know God is just and righteous. But he's God. And as we've noted, he plays by rules we don't always understand or fully comprehend. In spite of that, we do have ample evidence that God is patient and merciful. He was merciful to us 
and he is patient with what Paul calls vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that God has prepared, created some persons merely as vessels of wrath? Does it mean that he created them just so he could vent his wrath on them and destroy them? It almost sounds like it. And if that is the case, so be it. God can do whatever he wants and he owes no one an explanation. But that is not what Paul is saying here. In verse 23, Paul does speak of vessels of wrath which God prepared beforehand for glory. But in verse 22, he merely speaks of vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. He does not say God prepared them for destruction. In fact, he puts that phrase in what's called the middle voice, which indicates that the vessels prepared themselves for destruction. Paul is saying that even though God is justified in demonstrating his wrath because some have prepared themselves, they have fitted themselves through their disobedience and rebellion for judgment, he is often patient with them. And Peter tells us God is patient with them because he does not want any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Paul is here making the point that God is not only patient for their sake, but also for ours. That God is patient with those who deserve his wrath in order to show mercy to those he has prepared for glory. And being fair, God does not show partiality. He is offered to prepare anyone who will believe, Jew or Gentile, for glory. So yes, God is fair. He is patient and merciful. And God is faithful to his word. Verses 25 through 29. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. And her who was not beloved, beloved. And it will be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they should be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, except the Lord of Sabaoth, had left to us a posterity, posterity, we would have become as Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. You know, you can almost hear the Jews crying, no fair, no fair. We thought we were God's people. Well, Paul answered their cry by turning to Scripture. They had forgotten what God had said. Through the prophet Hosea, he had said he was going to call some who weren't his people, his people, and some who weren't beloved, beloved. He also made it clear that even though some would insist Gentiles weren't God's people, he would call them 
sons of the living God. And the Jews who were upset about all this needed also to be reminded through Isaiah that God had said that even though the sons of Israel would be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant would be saved. God never promised he would save all the Jews. In fact, if the Lord hadn't been merciful to them and graciously made sure at least some of them were saved, they would have been long gone, like Sodom and Gomorrah, judged and buried, never to be seen again. God wasn't doing anything he hadn't said he would do. He is faithful to his word. Now, sometimes we cry no fair because we don't know all that God has said. We take a promise out of context, ignoring the conditions and the rest of Scripture, and say, but I thought you said... That's the problem. We just thought, he said. If we would take the time to study all that he said, we'd see that God is always faithful to his word. And God won't disappoint those who trust him. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness? Even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. You know, Paul has already made it very clear in the preceding chapters in Romans that the purpose of the law was not to make people good. It was to make them realize how bad they were. The law wasn't given to expose our sinfulness. No, it was, I'm sorry, the law was given to expose our sinfulness, not to cure it. But many of the Jews had missed the point. They thought they could earn standing before God through obedience to the law. They thought they could make themselves righteous, but it didn't work. The Gentiles, on the other hand, weren't even trying to be righteous. They knew they weren't. And they realized they could never make themselves righteous, so they weren't even trying. But when they discovered that God would consider them to be righteous, if they would just trust in what he had done on Calvary and would acknowledge the need for a Savior, they jumped at it. They were saved by their faith in Christ. Was God unfair in saving them and condemning the unbelief of the Jews? Of course not. He had made it clear that his provision for man's salvation would be hard to believe, that many would be offended by a crucified Redeemer. 
But he also promised that anyone who would believe in him would not be disappointed. So no, God is not unfair. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That we know and that we believe. Some of the details of God's working we don't understand. But God can do whatever he wants and he owes no one an explanation. We may not understand everything, but we do know that God is patient and merciful. We know he is faithful to his word, and he will not disappoint anyone who believes in him. So there's no need to question God's fairness and stumble over the gift of salvation He's offered to you. If you will trust him and obey him, you can take a secure stand on Jesus, the rock of our salvation.